conversations from the front lines of marketing. This is B2B Growth. Last couple of months, I've felt like the ultimate nerd because I've been, for the first time in a long time, actually diving into some fiction. I don't, I usually just read like nonfiction business, but I've been diving into some science fiction of all things. And it's in the, if you've heard of Ender's Game, very popular book, he's got a whole series in the Enderverse. And uh, some of the books I've been reading into the series has this artificial intelligence. You could call it a program, but it's actually a person. It's like this real person that is an entity. And and she defines herself as a she. And it's like, it's, I can't quite remember her name. I'm blanking on it now. But like, she's talking to Ender, the main character. And it's, it's like this whole plot. And she's one of the main characters in it. At the same freaking time, I'm reading these stories, chat GPT comes out and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's freaking happening. <laughs> I'm you're starting to come, you're star- and then uh, my brain goes to weird places because I'm like starting to correlate. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to have like computer programs or personalities and we're actually going to build like, like relationships with them, friendships. And it'll be like Joe here and Joey's, Joe's going to be joining us on a podcast soon. And Joe knows a lot because he's really smart. He's part that he uses the internet for his brain. Because there it is, chat GPT sitting right there and I can ask it stuff and it actually has relatively good answers. It's not quite self-aware yet, but I'm like, that's been my like nerdy moment over the last, like last few months is actually trying to anticipate and build the bridge between where chat GPT is now and where it's going in the future. So with that, I just have to say, welcome back to B2B Growth, (laughs) where we get to nerd out in the echo chamber. So the post that you brought up, Dan, that you dropped in our Asana board here, you know, I think is nerdy. I mean, marketing attribution, it feels like, you know, anytime you start talking about attribution, Chris Walker's kind of made it not as nerdy. I feel like he's added some sex appeal to, you know, as as he talks about self-reported attribution a little bit. But at the end of the day, like we talk to any of our wives about marketing attribution, they're going to fall asleep. So this post though, from Michael Roberts, It says, I worry very little about marketing attribution anymore. I use the main advice given on LinkedIn, and then I go to work. First touch, last touch, pre-op, and self-reported. First and last touch, give me some quantitative data that I can reference for leadership. I pair it with self-reported, think through the nuance and make decisions. And then I begin to build my programs, look for initial positive signals, make sure there's a sensible path to revenue and iterate. And that's all I need, especially if I'm working with a marketing team of less than 20 people. What's your take on this, Dan? You brought this to the table. I think it's funny because I don't think marketing attribution is goes horribly wrong when you treat it as a science. But everybody tries to. Yeah. Even as simple as he's doing it, I'm like, uh, that still sounds like it's going to give you the wrong results. Even if you're holding it loosely as a science to try to steer the direction. I think Chris Walker, he commented, it was a little bit farther along. What did he say? He said, it's time we rebrand first touch to first trackable touch. What attribution software measures as first touch almost never actually is the first. Absolutely right. Which is why it can never be a science because you're just never going to get all the data points in. And even if you did, human behavior, you know, (laughs) it's kind of unpredictable. But it's hard to predict human behavior. If you could, you, like, you'd have algorithms that could perfectly predict the stock market and perfectly predict a product launch. And we're getting better at it, but movies still flop. We still have a hard time predicting things based on all the best data we have in the world, which is why I would say it's more of an art. You get all the data you can, and then at the end of the day, you have to make a choice. And that choice is not going to be perfect. You still have to balance in all the qualitative data 
and and to actually interpret it, like looking at some tea leaves in the bottom of your teacup. If you're going to old mystical ways of interpreting the future, it's a little closer to that than people think. You still have to make a gut decision based on your own experience about where where things are going. B2B brands are on a hamster wheel trying to create more and more awareness. They're putting so much work into creating awareness and not nearly enough work into making sure that the content they're putting out is actually good. You can pay to build awareness. Brands do that all the time. But does the content resonate? The question should be, how do we create content that builds affinity? And that's where Sweetfish comes in. We're here to help you build your market's favorite show, not just another show. Learn more at sweetfishmedia.com. What's your take on, you know, he closes the post by saying, especially if I'm working with a marketing team of less than 20 people, I would argue that most marketing teams are less than even 10 people. What's your take on this caveat of, especially if I'm working with a marketing team, a small marketing team, basically? Yeah. When it becomes bigger, you're at a big enough company, then... Before you make bold decisions, leadership usually wants to see more data to validate your decision. And that's there's some truth in that. You want to be able to do it, but let's be honest, like we're all kind of like manipulating the numbers to prove what we want to do anyway. The numbers can be cooked in so many different ways. There's <laughs> to, I mean, there's to just prove a lot where of you ways want to, to tell a story. There's a lot of ways yeah. to tell a story. And in a previous episode, you talked about Southwest Airlines. There's a lot more opportunity for data storytelling with all the data they have versus the data we have a little you know 23 person company and so i definitely think there's you have more more opportunities to do this stuff is it still overcomplicating it i mean chris daly commented on on this post when he said don't overthink attribution use something simple unless you're spending millions of dollars overthinking is a fruitless use of time and i think i tend to agree with that and i think that's probably what this guy was getting at too if you've got a marketing team of over 20 people, you're probably are spending millions of dollars. And so probably does need to be some discernment and some informed, more informed data backed decision making. But I also think that it's the stuff that has an outsized impact and result is the stuff that probably wasn't cooked up with like a ton of data backing it up. But I could be wrong there. I remember reading a story about Michael Eisner as he was running Disney. I think this is from Bob Iger's perspective. I think that's where I got this story from. But he was talking about how Michael Eisner had like a whole department of MBAs and financial analysts. And they run every major decision through that team and they would predict whether it was going to be good or bad or what. And it just slowed the whole company down. Couldn't innovate, couldn't do new things. Everything was run through the machine and the machine just wasn't fast enough. And it's a worldwide company, global company. And they're doing like things in old school ways from 30 years ago and like the Shanghai office or we're like, whatever, like all over the world, things are just falling apart because the machine just can't go fast enough. And it's often wrong. It's one of the first things did Bob Iger did was kind of trim that way back and started making decisions based on his experience as an executive. And he was the one who kind of intuitively figured out that Pixar was the game. I'm sure he had plenty of data to back it up. You got to know Bob Iger is probably looking at hundreds of reports a week, or he was in that time. But still, he had to make a gut choice about the direction of the whole company. And this is a company that's massive, global, tons of data to look at. At the end of the day, the leader has to look at all the data and make a choice. Yeah. I can understand why saying something like that, like trust your gut. I mean, it feels a little trite even, and it feels very risky. 
and founders, entrepreneurs, being that that's my perspective, it's way easier for me to trust my gut when I'm betting the farm with my own thing. So if this whole like positioning with media brands goes south and we should have stayed focused on B2B podcasting, it's a bet I'm willing to take as the founder, as the, as the owner of the business. And it's easier for me to take, frankly, than it would be for a marketer on our team who, you know, it's not their thing. So they bet wrong and say, hey, we need to go build the media brand category instead of continuing to fight in the dicey red waters of B2B podcasting that are becoming increasingly dicey and more competitive, you know, month after month, that they could lose their job for making that bet where an entrepreneur or the guy at the top, what you just explained there with Disney even, I don't know, he's feel, probably feels more freedom to make those gut level decisions because of the authority that he has in the organization and the wiggle room that he has. Now in that size of a company, I'm sure the board, like had he made the wrong, had Pixar not was, was not the right bet, still enormous amount of risk for him. The board says, okay, you're out. But that's how I was thinking about it just from through the entrepreneurial lens of the bets that I've taken in this and in, in our little baby business. What you want to avoid is an uninformed gut. You still want to get the data. You probably still need the HubSpot reports, the attribution reports, the first-party data reports, because you're actually talking to customers regularly. Because if you're doing all that and you're staying on top of the data, then your gut's probably going to be pretty well-informed. That's why Netflix has the rule of letting people make choices without the permission of their bosses. Right? I can't remember their exact wording for that rule. But they can make, like a, a direct report can make a strategic choice. It can be very costly without the buying of their boss. But they have to share that idea or the thing they're going to execute with the whole team, get feedback from everybody, and then make a decision. Because when you do that, you can move faster and have a well-informed opinion about it. Of course, they hire very talented people. So where they can do things like that, if you don't have that level of talent density, then you might want to put a little bit more control on it <laughs> to keep the train from going off the rails. But I do think there's an art. That's why this is all an art of getting the right information to then make a gut choice. So you have a well-informed gut. Especially for creative like endeavors, experiments that you want to run in the future, just being able to prove out some value in the data. But that's it's the funniest thing coming into B2B and doing interviews with, <laughs> with CMOs and VPs because I can't tell you how many pre-interviews I've been in where attribution came up. And just to be frank, my eyes glaze over because there's a lack of feeling like I've never been in a company of that scale. So I've never been in your shoes. So I don't know, like, are you just trying to prove this out, you know, in the C-suite? Or is this just an obsession with data so that you can like pat yourself on the back because you really love the numbers? Like I know that there's marketers that are wired that way and people that really love that side of marketing. But the over-obsession is something that has just been eye-opening for me the last year. And that's clearly one of the ways Chris has created an audience <laughs> around him is just making it super simple for people. Hey, I'm growing this massive company. Self-reported attribution is the way to go. But again, like countless, countless conversations with people bringing up either their model and why they love their version of lead scoring, their software that they can offer and they want to pitch us <laughs> to talk about. So it's an obsession. Data is an obsession. All right, enough nerd talk for this one. We're out. 